Welcome to the Arena Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the that takes us into the Christmas season. So this week, next week, and then the baptism week. And it's entitled, I Have Decided. Now, don't pick over it because we know that God comes to us as well. But the reality is, there's a power in choice. There really is. And God's purposes collide with our choices to make a difference. And uh, our foundational verses uh, for uh, that uh, message are found in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 to 3. And I'm going to read them. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. He says, Therefore, since we've been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders or entangles and the sins that entangle our lives. And let us run with perseverance the race marked for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author, pioneer, and finisher, perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from, from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So here we've got a picture. It's on the back of the great role of faith. And Jesus says, uh, rather the word of God says, uh, that we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I believe that they're the ones that have already died in the faith, in the knowing presence of the Lord, cheering on those coming behind. He says that we're to run the race, not a literal race, but the race of life, the race of following the Lord. And then we're to fix our eyes on Jesus. And it says there, who? For the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he's now sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus, the Son of God, in his humanity, becoming the Son of Man, outworked the power of decision. He said that I'm going to endure the cross for the joy that was set before him, the joy set before him is a group of people pitch up at Arena Church, Ilkeston, 2,000 years later, worship his name, open their hearts to his word, want to grow, want others to reach. He saw all of that before him. And so he, 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 the joy set before him, he endured the cross and suffered its shame. He made a decision. Definition of decision is a resolution, a commitment, a, a resolve, a determination. And notice, and these verses aren't on the screen, but Jesus' decision was tested. All great decisions are tested. If you've made a decision to get baptised in two weeks, you've made an amazing decision. Don't be surprised if it just gets tested a little bit. Don't be surprised if you get somebody said to you, well, what do you want to do that for? Ignore it. Ignore it. And there's nothing to pray about. I'm sorry, there's nothing to pray about about whether it's the will of God. It is the will of God. It's the next step. How can you possibly say that you want to be surrendered to Jesus if you don't make the next elementary step into what he's called us to do? Baptism's not about finishing, it's about beginning. And so step in, put your name down today and be baptised. And Jesus' decision-making was tested in Luke 9.51. It says, as the time approached, what time? The time to go to Jerusalem, the time of his crucifixion, the time of his suffering, which we already spoke about. He says, Jesus resolutely, or as one translation says, set his face to Jerusalem. He made a decision. He was going there. He was resolute. 
And then a little later on in Matthew chapter uh, uh, 26, one of my favourite verses in the whole of the New Testament, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he cries out to God, God, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But in that moment, he had a new revelation of the fact that nobody else was worthy to carry the cup, the cup of suffering. And he went on to say, not my will, but yours be done. He made a decision. I've decided that I'm on earth in my humanity to do the will of God. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. And ladies and gentlemen, if we will fix our eyes on Jesus, it will set us up well for profitable, intentional, biblical decision-making that will bless your life. And so today's subtext I have decided is this, very appropriately on Remembrance Sunday, I have decided to live for others. Maybe you've never answered that question. Maybe you don't want to live for others. Well, over the next few minutes, I'm going to challenge you to say that Jesus' followers inevitably end up here. Giving their lives away for others. In a recent report from the University of Groningen in the Netherlands, Roland, you'll like that. um, They came to the conclusion that people that belong to a church are far more likely to be involved in volunteering and wanting to help others. It's so true. It takes us, friends, from selfishness to selflessness. It takes us from the me, me, me culture, it's all about me, and it's not all about you, to it being all about them. It takes us from being self-absorbed to people-absorbed. And it beautifully fits in with the journey of Arena Church, whereby we come to know God and so get baptised, We find freedom and continually find freedom by identifying with a small group that will help us work issues through. We discover our purpose, which is unique. Everybody here has got a gift. And the thing is, you think your gift is everybody else's gift. But no, it doesn't work like that. Your gift is your gift and it's different from another else. And we bring all these gifts together in a coalition to make a difference to make a difference and making a difference inevitably means that we've decided to live for others just this week the church of england gave their conclusions to a report they commissioned which came back and confirmed that in the anglican church alone in in this country there were 33,000 social action projects taking place at this time i'll say it again 33 thousand they went from food banks to debt counseling and everything in between archbishop welby was quoted on twitter as saying we are not doing this just because we are nice it's nice to be nice but we are not doing this just because we're nice but because our faith in jesus christ compels us to act and that's just the anglican church there are tens of thousands of acts of mercy taking place this week. I want to tell you, friends, it's pretty easy to take pot shots at the church. But if the church went on strike tomorrow, if Lisa and the community team said, you know what, we're going on strike until Christmas, you know, we're out. there'd be mayhem. There'd be mayhem. There'd be people, friends, literally not knowing what to do. That wasn't a prophecy, Lisa, so, you know, I mean, so, and... Uh, <clears throat> 
But I illustrate the point that even this week on the doorstep of our church, dozens and dozens of people will be helped again. So I want to give three pointers that will increasingly inspire us to make a decision in our lives to decide that we will give our lives away for the cause of others. Number one. Number one is an example to follow. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7 says these words. Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature or form of a servant. I don't have time to open it up this morning, but in Philippians 2, the writer is talking about, if you like, an extreme. He's saying to us that Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God. The reason for that is that he is God. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He, He was there in creation. Colossians says that he holds all things together. My contention is, friends, that we don't make too much of Jesus. We make too little of him. He's amazing. Jesus, the Son of God. But then it says he came to the earth and he humbled himself. He gave away. He not only came to the earth, but it says here that he made himself in the form of a servant. He came to serve. In Luke's gospel, he says, I didn't come to, to serve, uh, to be served, but to serve. And Jesus exemplifies the giving away to others. There he was in the glories of heaven. He didn't need to come, but God looked on his world in pain. He so loved the world. He says, how can we possibly bring people back to me? I made them for relationship. I made them to know me. And there was no one. And he gave his son. And of course, at Christmas time, we celebrate what we call the incarnation. And Jesus coming as a babe exemplified exactly what I'm talking about. He didn't come in the clouds with thunder and lightning. Came as a baby. And nobody could find where he was. Humbled himself. And here we are, friends, all those years later, changed and touched by the power of Jesus' love into our lives. That journey to servanthood was costly. You know that ultimately he took him to a cross. And then, of course, we go back up the slide in Philippians. It says, therefore, God's given him a name that's above every name. The name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. So here he is in heaven. And here he is, exalted the Father's right hand. But in the middle, he becomes a servant. And our substitute, our sacrifice, our salvation was a costly journey for the Lord Jesus. Over the history of time, friends, there have been many, many people that have Uh, shown a tremendous example of servanthood. But none, and I'll illustrate one at the end, but none, none like the Lord Jesus. If you look to Jesus as your example today, and that's simply what Christian means, a follower of Jesus, you will be inevitably drawn to a decision to let your life touch others. Because he did. Number two... There's a heart to function. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 12 and verse 35 in the New King James Version, he says, a good man out of a good heart, the T's missing, brings good treasure. A good man, 
generically, ladies, a good man out of a good heart brings forth good treasure or good things. The motivation of our decision making this morning, friends, I am not talking about self-effort. I'm not talking about you curling yourself up in a tighter ball than you've done to try a little bit harder. I'm not talking about self-justifying through your works. I am asking that you will continue to let God touch your heart. And as you allow him to touch your heart and let it be changed and keep being changed out of your heart, you will bring good treasure. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, that where a man's treasure is, is where his heart is also. And we bought into this uh, philosophy in Western civilization that is the very opposite of what Jesus taught, that if I've got loads of things for me, that means I've done well. But Jesus said that man's life does not consist of the abundance of things that he possesses. Nothing wrong with possessions in their place. Nothing wrong with nice things. But they don't define our standing before God. What defines us before God is that we have given our hearts to him. In Sunday school years ago, we used to sing a little song saying, Come into my heart. Come into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. He's taken from the book of Proverbs where the proverb says, son, give me your heart. And what it's basically saying is, will you give you to me? I can make a far better job of it than you trying to do it on your own. A heart for others will only spring out of a heart that's changed. And if you've never done that this morning, then before our service is finished, we'll give you opportunity to say, Jesus, come into, come into my heart in the power of your spirit and begin to make a difference. There are people in this room this morning, and I say it without any sense of contradiction, and I've seen some of them actually uh, go through the heart change before my very eyes, where before they came to Jesus, it was all about them. They didn't really sort of care too much about anybody else. But there was a day in their life where they gave their heart to Jesus. And over time, the Lord began to change and began to change and began to change and began to change. To see people all across Arena Church now giving away, it reflects that it's not just coming from the head, but it's coming from the heart. And thirdly, there's a direction to focus in Matthew 25, we've got Jesus telling a story. You'll know, you know that Jesus loves stories. We sometimes call them parables. They're, they're stories that are rooted in everyday life and then they have a spiritual meaning. And of course, some of the stories don't quite sit so easily with us because Jesus' everyday life was an Eastern culture. It's talking about wineskins and plows and different things, but... Sometimes as you get into the story and just dig behind it, you realise that he, he communicated with incredible relevance. And so here in Matthew 25, which is quite a lengthy story, we cannot skirt around the fact that the reason that Jesus is telling the story of dividing the sheep and the goats is simply this. 
because there is coming a day of accountability. And the accountability is how did we respond to people in need? And there are six uh, groups of people that are mentioned. I'm not saying it's an exhaustive list, but I want to tell you, friends, that that list is prevalent in the 21st century. The list is this, people that were hungry, people that were thirsty, people that were strangers, people that were naked, people that were sick, and people that were in prison. Now, the application for that is both literal but also figurative. And that is why Arena Church is committed not only to the word, impassioned about the word, but also to the works that back up the word. The Bible says, how dwell the love of God in you if you see someone in need and yet make no response to help? We can't deal with all the needs, but we can deal with some of it by God's grace. And Julie asked us this morning to remember what God's done. And even the community project, just homing in on that for a moment, you all know it started down here to my right with a, uh, a, a pallet. Uh, and it was, it, was a, it was a dangerous area. There were, there were that many sort of uh, screws in it and things that would scratch your hand. I remember two or three people walking from where Gordon is with a, a couple of Tesco bags and put it, that was the food bank. Because all of a sudden... As uncomfortable as it was, as recession kicked in 2009 and 10, in this town, we came to realise people were hungry. We can come with all the debates and arguments. It's ridiculous in this day and age. My mum and dad, they were hungry. They were thirsty. Some felt alienated from their own society. Strangers. Literally naked, probably not so, but certainly needing to be clothed. Sick. And of course, people trying to find their way out of prison, literally, and out of the prison of life. And God has been amazing. God has been amazing. Because there were certain people that made the decision that their life wasn't just going to be about them. But it was a decision to help others. And forgive the cliche, but the rest is history. God is continually dealing through these types of stories with our bias. Let me personalise it. My bias, my prejudice, my judgments, my reservations. To understand that when we reach out and focus on others, we're not going as Jesus. We're going to Jesus. He says, as much as you did it to them, you did it for me. And so I've decided to live for others, an example to follow, a heart to function, a direction to focus. I close with an illustration. It seems appropriate to use this message on Remembrance Sunday when we think of so many people that have laid down their lives for the cause of freedom. As I said earlier, there's a pantheon of men and women that have marked history by their amazing commitment to Jesus that has poured out to touch others. And I'm going to close with 
the example that's just put on the screen. Because you remember we started in Hebrews chapter 12 and we're encouraged to run the race. And so here's one of my heroes. Not idols, but heroes. I, I love reading about men and women down history that have made a difference. And I love Jesus. Some of you know I'm a bit partial to sport as well. So it all connects. Love track and field. And so here's Eric Little. And uh, I was freshly touched by Eric Little because quite recently I, I wrote, I, I read a new uh, biography that was, written, uh, w- that was written by an excellent journalist called Duncan Hamilton and it was entitled For the Glory. And it just inspired me again about an amazing man that ran the race in so many ways. Let me just remind you of the story briefly. But Eric Little was born in this world in 1902 and was the son of Chinese missionary parents. And so he got a flavour of China. And then as a little boy, he was sent back to boarding school. That's what missionaries did in those days. They were separated from their parents, sometimes for years. And Eric began to come to maturity. And people recognised that he was a gifted athlete. You, you either got it or you can't when you're running uh, these guys are. And uh, I, I know, you know people say you, you, you can be anything you want to be. I'm not sure about that. (laughs) I'm not sure that anybody can run a marathon in two hours, three minutes like that guy did the other week. You might die trying, but... uh... And so we come to 1924, the Summer Olympics taking place in the capital of France, Paris. And Eric's hot favourite to win the 100 metres. Problem. The heats for qualifying for the 100 metres final take place on a Sunday. In our day, you might be saying, well, so what? But in those days, there was a very close connection between Christian faith and what we call Sunday observance. In other words, on Sunday, you went to church. You didn't go to church once. You went to church several times. And you didn't do anything on a Sunday that you normally did on a Monday to a Saturday. We know life's changed. Society's changed. But for many, many people, it was an expression of their deep commitment and devotion to Christ. And so he said, I'm not running on a Sunday. I'm a believer. And there was this great who are and, you know, he was letting people down. And, of course, eventually he ran in the 400 metres. Now, those of you that know anything about athletics will know that the training, even though it's relatively the training for 100 metres, which is very explosive, to 400 metres, which is once round the track in about mid-40s, in terms of seconds, very, very different. Michael D. Johnson was a good 200 metre runner, he was a good 400 metre, but he never ran 100 metres. You have the frame for it. And so, Little comes into the Olympics, hot favourite. Now he's a, a, you know, a lot of criticism, a lot of criticism from the press, a lot of criticism from the British Olympic Association. But he asked God to help him. And of course, in his testimony, he said, When I run, I feel God's pleasure. Ah. It was a gift. You know the story. Head back. He won the 400 metres and was lauded for his amazing achievement. And of course, early 80s, Sharon and me were in a back seat of a cinema in Skegness in 1981 watching Chariots of Fire. And the great Van Gelish music. I was going to ask Chris to put it on, but we've not got time. Da 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 da. 
And maybe at Christmas time, as the BBC looked to fill another two-hour slot with another repeat film, we might get Chariots of Fire on again. Great film. Awarded Oscar awards and great film. I say all that because 1925, even then, and it was made very clear in the book, even then, a different time, less of a celebrity culture, but even then, little could have lived off the back of his Olympic victory forever. But a year later, he was in China. Because as a devoted follower of Jesus, he'd made the decision that he wanted to give his life away for others. And not just following the example of his parents that clearly influenced him, but out of a deep inner heart faith to the Lord, him and his family went to serve the Lord amongst the Chinese people. I've decided to serve others. The Second World War came. And in 1941, as the Japanese pressed in on China, uh, it, was, it was said to Eric Little and his family, it's, get, it's getting unsafe for you to live here. And so the decision was made for Little's wife and three daughters to make their way to Canada, and he would stay. And by this time, he ended up in an, an internment camp. And uh, Little's great gift in missionary was, was teaching, organising, inspiring. And people testified to the fact that even in the internment camp, even though it was such a terrible time, Little was an amazing inspiration until he became ill. And the doctors examined him and found that he got an inoperable brain tumour. And February 1943, Eric Little passed to eternity, age 43. Someone says, everybody was stunned because he left such a great vacuum. And Eric's last words on his deathbed were, it's complete surrender. I'm glad I've given my life to God. I'd like somebody, I don't know who it is, to listen very carefully to the next couple of minutes as we come to a close. Because if you're, a, if you're somebody that gets ministry ready, you know that sometimes it's just a case of getting it ready. Sometimes you'll put something down and often my humour's really not prepared. You know, it just, sometimes it goes there. But sometimes you think, well, that's, that's funny. Sometimes you, you're very moved, you're in tears. There's lots of things happening. See, it's not a lecture, it's not a talk. It's the, it's the word of God coming in, out. And the only way I can describe it is as Friday morning, I was just putting the finishing touches to this message. I felt the spirit of God wash over me with three statements. And I felt he say to me, I want you just to declare them on Sunday. And you'll forgive them being in your face, but I think it's for somebody here. Statement number one. Stop messing about. Stop messing about. Number two, stop procrastinating. In other words, stop putting off decisions that you need to make. And number three, stop looking for the perfect community of believers to be planted in because you've already discovered it doesn't exist and I believe that God is speaking to somebody this morning saying it's your day to make some decisions it's your day to stop messing around to stop life revolving around you to stop floating around and setting yourself up for an amazingly fruitful 2019 by freshly giving your heart to Jesus 
by making a decision that you are going to live for others and you're going to do it within the security and blessing of a community of believers called Arena Church that will help you on the journey. Decisions will be tested. They always are. But I encourage us this morning, friends, to press through. And on this day, and thank you for your impeccable observance of the two-minute silence, on this day when we remember, we'll go beyond even the greatest sacrifice of earth, even Eric Little, and we look to the Lord Jesus, who swooped from heaven as a babe and became a servant, exalted to the Father's right hands. He says this morning, I want you similarly to come to a decision. I want you to follow my example. I want you to allow it to come not just from your head, but your heart. And I want you to be focused on those that are hungry and thirsty and strangers and naked and sick and in prison. Because as you do it to them, you do it to me. The greatest decision we can ever make is that we follow Jesus. Inevitably, out of that, he will press us along the line to make another decision that we give our life, our life away to live for others. Let's pray. In a moment or two.